Um, what? Okay, first of all, have you been told anything about what we're doing? Not too much. Okay. I got a I got an email with something vague about family trauma. Yeah. I skimmed over the. This is Dr. Jacob Hom. He's a clinical psychologist who runs the Center for Child Trauma and Resilience at Mount Sinai. I asked him to come talk to me about how trauma trickles down through generations. Let me tell you a little bit about my story and what happened with my mom. And Jesus, where do I even start? Basically, I am investigating the murder of the love of my mother's life. I was born in 85. He died in 82. Um, and there I tell him the whole story about my mom's trauma and losing Billy, about my childhood with her, and my choice to have myself removed from her care. I'm visualizing like um, layers and layers of like armor of rage and toughness being applied to you. A bunch of fuck you energy. You know, Doc, it's like we've known each other a long time. <laughs> I loved her very, very deeply, but she was not attuned to what I needed or wanted. And she was suffering, which I think was the most painful thing. She was really, really suffering. Right. Your job was to take care of her. See, what's... Always. I, you and I actually heard that from the moment you started. <laughs> um, because when you said, let me tell you about my childhood, where do I begin? Mm. And then it starts three years before you're born. <laughs> it's always about her first. Killing me, doctor. Jesus. None of this was your fault. You didn't deserve any of this. And yet you are going to blame yourself. And you're never going to stop trying to pine after her and seek her and get her to love you the way that you really want. And it's such a fucking trap. So I wonder for you, hearing that story and everything that happened to her, and all of the results of it in as it manifested in my life, does that make equal sense to you, how she behaved? Um, I don't, this is weird, I don't really, the, the story doesn't matter to me. The way you tell it matters. It's like whenever we watch like those music competitions, like, um, you can have perfect pitch and perfect technique, but if you don't sing it with your full heart, then it doesn't move people. You don't get goosebumps. But you're vibrating. Your heart's fucking vibrating. And it's going to come across. I mean, what you're saying is that the vulnerability is almost a superpower. It's like a communicative... Oh my God. It's, it's the answer. But as I was listening to you speak, I was um, seeing your heart hardened with the potential to just become bitter and rageful. And instead, you somehow use this process to kind of like melt the, the hard edges. And you yourself developed the capacity for empathy and connection. So don't fight what you're supposed to be and just like try to figure out what the wisdom of it is. Today, I try to figure out what the wisdom of it is. From Crimetown, I'm Io Tillett-Wright, and this is the final episode of The Ballad of Billy Balls. 
off the elevator comes Billy Balls, and my God, that was fucking it. It's called Love at First Sight. Rebecca called me, you know, she called me right after it happened. Billy's been shot. It occurred quickly. I thought that he fired, and I was not happy with it at all. I mean, you can't be happy being involved in something like that. We're gonna find them. We're gonna find them, okay? Field on Hart Island is a small patch of land in the easternmost part of the Bronx. To me, scheduling a visit, she was more like his wife, so I would definitely schedule her for a family or a loved one type visit. It's so unbelievable that there's someone under this ground, and you would never know it. I don't know how to do the right thing for her. Shit in movies is so neat, you know? But real life isn't like that. Chapter 13, Life After Death. What's what's happening here? I don't. I feel like I should have brought a bottle of wine or something. I'm so like anxious. This project has affected a lot of people, but in particular, a person I didn't know existed when we started out. Amanda, Billy's daughter. Austin asked her to come by the studio one last time to tell her everything we've discovered. Did your grandmother, your grandmother told you something though? Yeah, she said that he was in a potter's grave, but she never knew exactly where. He begins with Hart Island. He, we found that he is buried on Hart Island. Mm-hmm. And this is the original uh, ledger, the ledger of um, where he's buried. Oh, the grave number. Hmm. Height, man, there's no Z. Right. And that's why we couldn't find him. Um, you can go if you want to. <laughs> I don't know who wrote. Huh. I probably wouldn't, I I don't know who I'd go up there with. Well, I mean, I'd go up there with you if you want. Um, But that's not, I don't, no pressure or anything for that. This is just information that I want you to have. um, And you can do with it what you will. Um, But you just want you to know that you are, you're able to go. Wow. So this is... This is the police report that the NYPD released to us. Is this my copy? Yep, that's yours. So this is what the undercover cop is saying. Yeah. So basically the story was that this guy went to make a narcotics purchase from your dad. Austin goes through the undercover cop's story, that he was buying heroin from her dad when things went wrong, and that Billy pulled a gun, so he shot him. Wow. This is really, that's so strange. I don't even know. There's so much here. <laughs> is there any more stuff from Rebecca, like pictures and any recordings or anything? So that is the, the final thing that I have for you. Um, let me get get it. So oh. 
I made you a little thing. Oh my gosh. If you want it. Oh wow, thank you. <laughs> we made Amanda a compilation of some of Billy's music. So these are some Rebecca's uh, pictures. And we made copies of my mom's pictures of Billy, pictures Amanda's never had, and put together a photo album for her. In case this you is wanna... so cool. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's the photo of Billy smoking a cigarette with his band, with his hand down his pants. This is so crazy. That was the band that he had with uh, Cheetah Chrome. Yeah, which I know Cheetah. Yeah. Yeah. There's a photo of Billy standing inside his apartment. You see his piano and his white shoes. Looks look like they might be like jazz shoes, maybe. He did seem to like dressing up or wearing costumes. Yeah, he was very things. into his yeah. clothes. Yeah. And there's a grainy photo of a toddler standing next to her dad. Oh, wow. <laughs> Looks like my daughter. It looks like a kid thing right there, right? Some teddy bear. Yeah. Like they made a little effort. Yeah. I just wanted to ask about your feelings about all this now, after you've been through so much of this with us. It's a lot to think about. I wasn't really thinking about it before it was all started. I mean, this whole thing came to me out of nowhere, so... It's a lot to process, for sure. Just a lot of information I've received that's been pretty upsetting. Um, I don't know. It's been pretty upsetting, I guess. I guess that's what I can say. I don't know. I I don't want to not like him. (laughs) I never grew up not liking him, but now... I'm not the biggest fan. (laughs) And it would have been fine to go through my life and not have that. You know? I knew that he made a lot of bad choices. I knew that he used a lot of drugs. I just didn't want to overthink the details of everything that went along with that. It's What's it going to do for me? I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not writing a thesis on this. I mean, it's my life. You know, I don't really think about my parents, like, in this, like, poor me kind of way, but... They were incredibly fucked up people. There's no question about it. They were really bad, bad, bad parents. So you don't really need to be reminded of that because you spend most of your life as an adult trying to get over that. This isn't about me, but it certainly affected me and it didn't need to. It didn't need to at all. I just need, I was just needed to get documents because I'm the only one related to this guy. It's just difficult because of that. Um, but it's nice to see pictures of him and see, you know, resemblances and things like that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, it's complicated. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> and thank you. You're welcome. It's, just, oh, it's so strange. Like, I've I already made peace with this shit. <laughs> like, 
Brooks was buried on Heart Island a long time ago. <laughs> it's Heart Island. <laughs> you know, I'm alive, he's not. And there's a reason. So, same with my mother. I mean, I watched the destructive behavior my entire life. I don't want to be that, and I didn't want to be that. <laughs> so that's, that's it. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. All right, let's call it a night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So much. The truth has a different purpose for everybody um, involved. Like, what's it for? What's it good for? My dad, Seth. A documentary is just a sequence of of digging and discoveries, and it cannot be projected in advance, you know, where it's going or what, it, even what its purpose is, in a way. It's, it's very mysterious. This, that's the mystery. Not who killed Billy, but who needs to know and, and what that knowledge is for. That's very mysterious to me. I'm not sure. It's coming time to tell my mom about what we've found. I want to give her closure, and I'm hoping my dad will have an idea about how best to do that. You are the only other person who knows my mom as intimately as I do. Mm. What do you think justice looks like for her? There's no justice in this, because I don't think justice um, has anything to do with truth with facts. You can ask her, do you want to know it? Let her have the first refusal. Don't confront her. I think that she found a life after death, you know, after murder, that she got you, you know, that is like adding a life as opposed to subtracting a life. That's justice that she made it through this, so... Ask her. Yeah. You, you should let her tell you how much she wants to know. Um, what's about to happen? Where are we? Talk to me. So my mom is on her way here to the studio, and I'm going to give her the option of knowing what we've found throughout this process... I don't plan to show her any photos. I don't plan to show her the death certificate unless she asks for it, or the police report for that matter. And I'm a little bit nervous about how she, I mean, this is the crossroads, right? It's like, does she want to hear reality or does she want to stay in her version of things? It's been some fucking fireworks lately, but. What do you mean by that? She hasn't listened to the show, and she's been having a certain degree of freak out about it, calling me in increasingly frantic states and alternately yelling at me or crying or just, like, getting really crazed about it because when you don't know what's in something, your brain spins to the worst. I pull up a voicemail my mom recently left me. All right, so I'm just going to put on some different headphones. and I Out of respect, I'm not going to play it here, but I'm sharing it with Austin. 
My mom's unleashing a spew of brutality. She says I'm trying to rewrite her history with Billy. And she's disowning me. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That sucks. That's really hard. That's hard to listen to. That's like... <sighs> man. Oh, man. It's fucking me up a little bit. Um... Yeah. It's crazy to see it affect somebody else because it makes me realize what I'm used to. It's just so, it's just right to the bone. It's, uh, <laughs> growing up, I didn't have, I didn't experience anything like that. Um, I'm not used to hearing things like that, I guess. And I'm just really sorry that uh, this, this has been your life and this is other people who are listening. I'm sure this is their life. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's up. Thanks, Austin. Yeah, don't thank me. I mean, thank you for going into this shit and, and you know, opening yourself up to, to the world, or at least telling this, this story. And then, like, man, like, you, d- <laughs> you survived some shit. She here? I think she's here. Yeah, she's here. Okay, let's go get her. After the break, my mom. Uh, Let me just take off my coat. Yes, whoa. It's hot for a coat. My mom's just arrived at the studio for a final interview. She's wearing her standard black tank top and black pants. Her hair is pulled back and a little wet. She's been swimming at a pool in Midtown. I love to swim. I'm a good swimmer. You know, it aligns your back and your leg muscles. As she settles in, a silence falls over us. It's tense. Well, I guess, you know, this is not a some, like, big formatted reveal of anything. I just wanted to, you know, give you the opportunity to know as much as you want to know. And right. I don't know what there is to know, so how would I know? How much do I want to know? <laughs> well... Here's a little packet of papers for you of stuff that we found about Billy's history when he was a kid. That's pretty cute. <laughs> um, this first one is an article from his birth, announcing his birth. Wow. This is from the Red Bank. I start Register by taking my mom through Billy's childhood in New Jersey. Story group, the highest honor mark went to William Heitzman, Red Bank. He would have been like eight years old or something. He was like winning awards for his piano playing. Wow. <laughs> he told me he never had piano lessons. Yeah, he lied. <laughs> trying to impress you. I tell her about how Billy sang in his elementary school choir, about how he won a bicycle safety poster contest when he was 10, and that we talked with some of his childhood friends 
who remembered Billy as a unique and rambunctious kid. And then jumps to when he was 15, and this article says, FBI nabs youth in Florida hold up from when he tied that guy to the radiator? Toilet? Toilet. Toilet. Chained. <laughs> but it was interesting. We tracked down the guy who he did that robbery with. His son is still alive. And the son said that Billy set the robbery up with the owner of the shoe store. Like the guy was trying to pull some insurance scam. Then he got a bunch of like shit as an older teenager for noise violations from noisy mufflers. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So then I guess very shortly after that he moved to New York and like that kind of stuff kind of stops. Which leads us to the less fun things. This is up to you what or how much you want to know, but what I will tell you is... being led to the kill. No, no, not at all. Not at all. It's entirely up to you. I just want you to know that, like, we got his death certificate... We got his, the police report from the incident. Um, And all that stuff gave us a lot of information, which we then took to Ron Kuby and dissected with him to try to understand what happened. And against all odds, we found the name of the guy in the cowboy hat. And we found him. You found him? Like, that guy is walking around. He's still alive. So, charges. I want to know about charges. Against him? Yes. Well, I guess, I mean, the charge that was going to be leveled against Billy was attempted murder of a police officer. You know, that they charged him with possession of a gun and... Right, that's what they always say. Legally speaking, if you pull a gun on a cop... That's what they always say. Even if you don't know that they're a cop? Billy told me and the lawyers that he had no gun. All right? Yeah. When something happened so long ago... You have to piece together the surrounding narratives. So we talked to Cheetah, and we talked to Gita, and we talked to Animal X, and we talked to Chris, and we talked to Marina, and we talked to all these different people, and you extensively to try to piece together the narrative of who Billy was. And like, all that is to try to piece together the likelihood of what somebody would do in a situation. The likelihood has nothing to do with the reality. I think that if somebody's not here to If somebody tell you, shoots someone, is that acceptable in this society? I mean, I'm not going to fight you on it, but he owned guns his whole life. So the idea that he would have gotten rid of all of the guns 
to me personally, seems very, very unlikely. And I think the, the sad, very hard to swallow reality of the situation, legally speaking, is that if you pull a gun on a police officer, they have the right to shoot you. That's what they always say. There's no evidence that it wasn't his gun. That's so easy to arrange also. The other aspect that we've pretty solidly confirmed with you and other people is that Billy was selling drugs and the guy was an undercover narcotics detective. Small time, little shit, you know. Right. Like, you know, little, nothing big, like, that would warrant, like, a big shoot down. You're not interested in the narrative that they get? No, I'm not interested in their bullshit lies. I'm sure it's another crock of shit, you know? I really don't care what bullshit they have to say. How do you feel right now? How do you think I feel? I don't know. You're a bottle rocket. It could go a lot of different ways. Do you want to know what I think? Or do you not care? Um, if it's a theory, I don't want to hear it because it's not relevant. There's facts and there's theories, you know? Do you want to know anything about the cop or any of that stuff? I'd like to see him fry and be six feet under, all right? That's that's it. I spoke to him. Oh, really? Yeah. He spoke to me. What did you say to him? <sighs> I said... My family's life has been largely defined by this day, and you were the only other person in the room that night, and I would like to know what you say happened. And the cop basically is like, he pulled a gun on me, and then I shot him, and that's why. And the cop says that there was, that was the only person in his entire career that that's ever happened with. Fuck him. So where is this freak? He lives on Long Island. On Long Island. What's his name? You sure you want to know that? Yeah, I want to know. Why? Why do you think? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Mom. I don't know. I don't know. Are you sure you want to know that? I don't know if... Why, tell me why you want to know that so I can make a decision on whether or not it's wise to tell you this. I just want to know. His name is Ron. Ron what? I don't know, Mom. Let's... I got to think about whether or not it's 
smart to, to tell you that because it's... It's a very complicated situation. And the position that you're in is incredibly infuriating and disempowering. And I know you. And I know your temper and the depth of the rage around the situation. And I think it would be probably pretty stupid. <sighs> I know, Mom, that Billy was the love of your life. And I know that you loved him more than anything else. I know that. But is there a world in which you could imagine that he had anything to do with it and might have provoked that situation at all? There were no guns. I know that he told you that. In terms of likelihood, the guy who owned guns his whole life probably had a gun. He told me otherwise. All right? He told me otherwise. So when you say your interpretation is not accurate because you didn't know him, he's dead. But I'm translating because I have a right. He told me. We're at a stalemate. And I'm reminded of a moment I had with Dr. Hom, the clinical psychologist from the top of the show. She has a story that she's told herself for 37 years that involves this great injustice and the police doing something bad and violating her family. And what we have to say might take that apart. So do you have thoughts around how to deal with that? I'm not sure I understand your question. The reason why I'm not comprehending your question is because all I see is you're doing it again. Doing what again? You're out. Your entire existence is centered around, orbits around, fixing your mom. She has her own journey, and she's bequeathed this. She's like set you on your path to help heal both of you. And the most important thing that you can do is to fix the stuff inside of you and then stay with her moment to moment, not in the past. So when she disappoints you, enrages you, does something right, then can you like respond authentically to that and help her like be present with you. So you're saying the most healing thing is to get right with myself so that I can be with her in the present moment. Yeah. <laughs> I thrive on understanding and context and my forgiveness is directly tied to well, but why did you do that? And if you can give me a why that my brain can comprehend, you're off the hook. That's why I'm a little afraid of making the meaning-making part. Tell me what you mean. Because I'd rather that you forgive and connect, even if you can't make sense of it. Huh. I struggle with that. I know. I struggle with that. Yeah, it's a little bit too much to ask of people. But it's like real surrender. 
I was going to say, that is the definition of surrender. It just is what it is, and therefore it has to be okay, right? It's like, I love you despite all this. Even if I can't make sense of it, I still love you, and I know that you still love me in some way. So all this past shit doesn't matter. It, it mattered for your journey, but the end goal is radically authentic presence with another person. Let her stop running. Make her feel safe. See her. That's the greatest gift that you've given her, actually, to see her. There is an ending here, but it's not going to come from my mom. It has to come from me. I don't always understand my mom, but I love her. And I know that she loves me too, fiercely and deeply. I'm choosing to accept what we have, rather than wishing for something that doesn't exist. Sitting next to her in the studio, I surrender. Will you... There was a story about you guys going to Boston. Right. Oh, Boston. Oh, God. In the, sn- in the snow? That's what it was, right? It was like a car. blizzard. I was wearing... It was very cheap... Like double knit forest green sparkle shell with a zip up the back and mini skirt with elasticized waist but not bunchy and black fuck me pumps with no stockings. His car had no floor because he was working on it and we went in the blizzard and so riding. And the snow is coming up through the floor. Oh, God. It's so, so good. Uh, but he had his favorite songs to, like, practice singing to. <laughs> like what? Like Sea of Love. Say, come with me, my love. To the sea, the sea of love. Do you remember when we met? That's the day I knew you were my pet. I wanna tell you how much I love you. I imagine her draped across the bench seat, her bleach-blonde head resting on Billy's thigh as he skids through the snow, a cigarette dangling from his mouth. She reaches up and caresses the collarbones of the man she will love forever as they sing together. Freezing air flies up from the highway below, but they're unfazed warmed by love. Come with me 
to the sea of love. Do you remember when we met? That's the day I knew you were my pet. I want to tell you how much I love you. <laughs> you okay? You're ready to stop. All right. I love you, Mom. I love you, my partner. Ask me more positive questions if you like, but I think that's a great way to end the whole show. Zach Stewart Pontier and Mark Smerlin. The Ballad of Billy Balls is hosted by me, Io Tillett Wright, and made in partnership with Cadence 13. You can find me on the internet. I'm Io Loves You on Everything. And if you want to know more about my story, you can pick up my memoir, Darling Days. One of my favorite parts of this experience has been getting voicemails from you listeners. Today, more than ever, I want to hear your thoughts and feelings. Call us and leave us a voicemail. You can say whatever you want. We're at 570-392-9660. It would mean the world to me. The show is produced by me, Kevin Shepard, and Ryan Swikert. Our senior producer is Austin Mitchell. Editing by Zach Stewart-Pontier and Mark Smerling. Fact-checking by Jennifer Blackman. This episode was mixed by Kenny Kusiak. Music and sound design by Kenny Kusiak. Our title track is Dark Allies by Light Asylum. Archival research by Brennan Reese. Thanks to Daniela Araya, Rachel Lee Wright, Emily Wiedemann, Green Card Pictures, Alessandro Santoro, Bill Clegg, Cassie Evashevsky, Ben Davis, Oren Rosenbaum, and the team at Cadence 13. I want to take a minute to thank my partner on this intense voyage, Austin. I could never have made this thing without you, man. And I don't know what I'm going to do without you now. I guess we have to make something else together. Zach, Mark, Kevin, Ryan, and the entire team, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You've made this dream a beautiful reality. 
Thank you to everyone who gave us their time and interviews. To Melinda Hunt for her work to open Heart Island. To Miss Calvert for understanding love. To Cora for being my chosen family. And to my dad for never shutting off and always moving toward me even when it hurts. I want to thank my fiance, Rachel, for listening to every episode 90 times and holding me up when it was too hard. I also want to thank every one of you who's listened to this all the way through. If you're hearing me say this right now, you've listened through the whole of the credits, which means that you're a real one. Please find me on the internet and say hello. Stay in touch. I'll miss you. And I'm also sorry about all those two-week breaks. And finally, of course, my mom, without whom none of this would be possible. It hasn't been simple, but I guess that's what makes it beautiful. Beautiful.